Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good evening, dummies. Episode 163 of Don't Unfriend Me, Friday, June 4th, 6.35 p.m. Colorado Avalanche play tonight, 10 o'clock. Late games. Jeez, you know. Seriously, it's the two best teams in the West. You think we'd be getting prime time, but we're not. I am not changing anything when it comes to the intro to the show or wearing any Avalanche gear. I've done it in the past, and it has been a curse. I'm going to stick with what's going well, and 6-0 and is most assuredly well. One of the best starts in the playoffs in recent memory. Uh, I can't remember it happening before. I know it's uh, happened before, but it's amazing. If we win tonight, if, if, knock on wood, it, uh, it'll be incredible. So listen, go Avs. Give me an update every single night. If you don't care, well, you might as well be an Avs fan, right? So we need all the mojo we can. Go Avalanche. And if you're a Vegas fan, uh, really no luck to you. I don't have anything, no ill regards. I've learned not to talk any trash during the playoffs. I, I'm all about positive mojo. I'm all about Oprah, except I'm not handing out wins. I'm just handing out passive, non-shit-talking type vibes to you tonight. It should be a great event. Everybody's going to be in Vegas. It's going to be full, and it'll be one of the first times uh, that they've had a full stadium since uh, since uh, COVID hit. And Colorado, the next round, if we get there, knock on wood, we'll have a full stadium too. Anyway, good luck to the Avs. Good luck to nobody else. All right, folks, what are we talking about tonight? We're going to have a good show. It's going to be a fun one. Um, first things first. The only reason I need... And when it comes to the Second Amendment, there is only one reason. And you will be able to hear all of the different viewpoints that people have. I'll try to summarize them into one you know, excerpt. But I will tell you there's only one that I need, and I will give it to you most assuredly. Next tonight is critical replacement thinking, not critical race theory. A gentleman, an amazing human being, good father, who I saw on TikTok, and I've subscribed and watched a lot of his videos, I'm going to bring to you tonight his take on critical race thinking. And I think you will be surprised. It's what fat craves being fat. Is there anything wrong with it? Can you say I'm fat? Well, people can say you're skinny and there's no negativity around that, but there's negative connotation around fat. I'm going to dive into already dived into my journey and what I went through in my fat days, military. I, well, young, I was a nerd. Then I grew into the frame you see now in 6'4", and went in the military and became physically fit more than I'd ever been in my life. And then accident happened in the military. I hurt myself pretty bad, and you know I just let myself go. And the question is why? What happened? Well, I'll tell you. And I'll also tell you about being fat. And this might be something you're interested in. It might be something that you, you're not interested in, but all I'd ask is give it a chance because I promise you, you will learn something about metabolism, your body, how it works. And we'll talk about it tonight. And I have studied it ad nauseum for the last 
I don't know, five years of my life. And then obviously when I was in the military to try to find what works for me. And I promise you somewhere in here, this will work for you. My wife came up to me the other day and said, do these jeans make me look fat? And I said, do you promise not to get mad no matter what I say? And she goes, yes. And I said, okay, I your sister. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, I'll tell you what, I usually uh, don't get that vulgar that early. When I'm in the heat of something, talking about a topic, cussing is okay, but that just, that seemed vulgar. So I apologize. First of all, that never happened. Second of all, to Leah, really? Come on. And second, to my wife, Olivia, come on. And third, it's, well, maybe that's fourth. It's just a joke. But anyway, probably in bad taste. I meant to say, I slept with your sister. But let's be honest, there wasn't a whole lot of sleeping going on, hubba hubba. All right, enough. All right, listen, what do we do here? Who am I? My name is Matthew Spear. I am your host of Don't Unfriend Me. Thank you for stopping by tonight. What is this show? What is it about? It's not about don't unfriend people. I mean, because you're going to do that. You've got horses' asses, and I cut them out of your life like a cancer on Facebook and Twitter They and all social media. They're just, they're no good. There's trolls everywhere. But in personal relationships. It takes a lot to lose a friend. Don't you remember those days when, you know, maybe they would steal a toy and then you guys would get in a fight and hit each other and cry. Then the next day you'd be best friends again, or you're in a bar and some guys talking trash and you knock each other's dick in the dirt and you pick each other up and then have a beer and realize that they're a lifelong buddy. It happens, but not on social media. When we sever the ties of social media, we just literally cut it out and it's gone. It's like an amputated limb. You're never going to get it back because out of sight, out of mind, I guess. But when that person blocks you and you block them, there's really no way to have a cord unless you have their phone number or you see them next door. But most people are separated by miles, not feet and hundreds of miles, thousands of miles in some case. And the whole point is don't unfriend me. Don't be so just rash to kick someone out of your life, especially for their politics or, or beliefs. If we kicked out people because of their beliefs, we would kick out New York Yankees fans all over the place. I mean, let's be honest. Hey, it's not the playoffs in baseball yet. So don't unfriend me. That's what it's about. We kind of take a middle of the road type thing. I am a conservative. I'm fiscal conservative. I think socially I'm fairly uh, liberal, moderate down the middle. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big, uh, proponent of lefty thinking or socialism, but I do like blue collar Democrats. And I do like the general platform of the democratic party when it was the democratic party. I don't recognize whatever the hell this is very similar to 2014. I didn't recognize what the Republican party looked like anymore, but I digress folks. I am here to bring you a show and I am already starting and I haven't even told you where you can find me. Don't unfriend me host at don't unfriend me host and don't unfriend me on YouTube, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on anchor, all the podcasts and where you can get all the Apple podcasts and and you go to Anchor and all of those will be listed there. Whether it be Overcast or Undercast or Typecast or whatever other type of crap is out there that carries my podcast, you can find me under Don't Unfriend Me. If that doesn't work and you hate social media, 
you can go to www.unfriendme.com. Visit my website, see my entire catalog there, all my videos, everything. It's a cornucopia of Don't Unfriend Me. Tonight, I know the titles were vague, and I'm trying to make them more and more vague just to pique your interest, just a tantalizing titulation of terrificness, which isn't even a word. The only reason I need, and at the center of what may be America's most divisive issue, is a comma. What are we talking about? Is it, Matt, did you mean coma? No, not a coma. A comma. Did you mean an exclamation point or a question mark? Something emphatic? No, just a simple comma. This is a bigger debate than abortion. Religion. It is the following. Quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That comma in the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights which is between free state and the, which was ratified in December 15, 1791, is a pivot point on which ideological wars have been waged and lives hang in the balance. Absolutely 100% true. The question is, what is the relationship between those two phrases on either side of that ambiguous punctuation mark? Does the amendment mean the right of people to keep and bear arms is for the express purpose of maintaining a militia? Well, if I go through these books, it's printed exactly like I just read it. Constitution, Declaration, and the Bill of Rights. Always with me. Always with me. If it does, the right to bear arms for skeet shooting or hunting big game or gunning down people in a public space with a semi-automatic weapon is not necessarily guaranteed. Or should the amendment be read to mean that because the need for a well-regulated militia has established the need for guns, therefore guns of any kind under any circumstances must remain legal under the Constitution? This is the battleground on which pro and anti-gun lobbyists have been waging their war. On the left, there are renewed... Does anyone want to guess where I'm from? Which side? This is, uh, this is, this is a Bunsen burner. So, obviously, I'm pro-second, right? But on the left, which I understand them very well because I actually have some very close friends who are uh, anti-Second Amendment, there are renewed calls for assault weapons ban. And this is fine. They can ban assault weapons if they want to because there's no such thing as an assault weapon. There isn't. Gun licenses, background checks, which President Donald Trump also called for in his his, uh, last, one one of his last address before he left office, increased and fell to the pressure that background checks would possibly be a good thing to have. Maybe the banning of guns altogether is really the platform that they're trying to achieve. But on the right, there is insistence that the right to bear arms is guaranteed, absolutely with no equivocation, by the Constitution of the United States. Full stop, period. What? Exactly were the framers thinking in 1791. And does it matter? 228 years later, most people in modern America, when they think about the right to bear arms, the image that comes to mind is grabbing for a gun at the bedside table, just like I did under my desk. And you would do that because you hear a bump in the night, said Sal Cornell. Paul and Diane Gunther, chair in American history at Fordham University, a prominent voice for gun regulation, who has published several books on the subject. That's totally not the reality of the 18th century, he said. 
In New Jersey, we also have seen shootings in Atlanta and in Texas over and over and over. These obviously have fueled the debate. Some would argue that it doesn't matter what the founders intended at all. First, there's no way to know for sure. And second, their intentions may have nothing to do with the present-day reality. Well, that's not true. In fact, there was turn cyclical rate machine guns at the time. Cartridge revolvers were, were turning that corner, and they knew that technology was advancing. The cannon had literally leaps and bounds over a 20-year period of time, had gotten stronger and further and more accurate. They understood that technology was growing fast. They weren't sitting around putting stone castles together and jousting. They had black powder. They had explosives, and they understood field tactics fairly well, a lot of them which are used today. The Founding Fathers weren't really envisioning an AK-47 or a nuclear device because they didn't have the ability to do so. In the end, there are only the words on the page and what can legitimately be construed from them. Quote, I believe in the fundamental right that individuals have to protect themselves against criminals, evil, and tyrannical government, said Alex Alejandro Rubian, president of the New Jersey Second Amendment Society based in Highstown. That's what the Second Amendment is about, Rubian said. I'm sure the people in Venezuela would love to have a Second Amendment to be able to defend themselves when thousands of innocent people are being slaughtered by the government. Hear, hear. In fact, very few countries have anything like a Second Amendment. It's one example of so-called American exceptionalism that really is, for good or ill, exceptional. 99% of the world's government has nothing like the Second Amendment. Whenever I'm interviewed by the foreign press, it's one of the few things that they don't understand, said Cornell. They just don't comprehend that Americans could have developed this particular view of the Constitution, this view towards guns. That's interesting. Let's go ahead and talk about it. So where did that Second Amendment come from? To understand that, you have to understand where the Bill of Rights came from. That late-day addition to the Constitution that was opposed by many of the framers, including its principal architect, James Madison. During the 1791 Constitutional Convention, there was much squabbling between Federalists like Madison, who pushed for strong centralized U.S. government, and then the opponents who were afraid that top-down federal systems would lay out a new constitution and ultimately lead to tyranny. The Bill of Rights was SOP, Standard Operating Procedure, to the anti-federalist faction. It guaranteed things like free speech and the right of fair trial and the right of the individual states, the Tenth Amendment, to defend themselves should federal tyranny arise. To defend themselves if federal tyranny arose. By what? Throwing wet macaroni noodles? No. With flintlocks, weapons, cannons, black powder, explosives, hot lead guns and has to be equal to a well-regulated militia to whatever the military slash government has that they have the citizens should possess now should i be able to have a b2 bomber no because a b2 bomber is not going to take me out and if it does it's going to be lights out anyway and 30 miles around me because it's going to be a tactical nuke should i have drones They'd be able to launch hellfires once again, not going to be used to take me out. And if it is, I'm already dead. Should I have the Moab, mother of all bombs, to take out a square mile? No. 
But should I have a high-powered rifle? Most assuredly. Cornell also says, is, this is how we should understand the phrase, a well-regulated militia being necessary, necessary to the security of a free state. Well, you can't rewrite what was written. But this was to enable the free states, New York, Virginia, Maryland, and so on, to maintain citizen armies to defend their own interests. And these militias would be regulated by the state, not lawless crowds. And what they mean by regulated is not necessarily a formal standing army. Now, National Guard could be considered a well-regulated militia, but should free citizens be able to do the same? Municipalities, towns, and cities, absolutely they should, which is where the right to bear arms for us. It's not based on population. It's not based on size. If I have a town of 500 here, every single person should be able to own a gun. Why? Because that is a well-regulated militia. We have certain rules. We can't go fire them off in the dead of night. We can't wantonly just start shooting people. It's regulated. Quote, what they're concerned about is the state being able to protect itself from a potential tyranny, Cornell said. The militia are to be controlled by the state government. If you organize yourself as your own militia, you're not a militia, you're a mob, which is true. That's certainly not how Rubian understands the phrase well-regulated. It doesn't mean regulated in regards to laws and being controlled. Here it is, he said. It means finely tuned, having those abilities. That's something a lot of people misconstrue, and I agree completely. The discipline, the wherewithal to be able to possess a firearm, the training to understand it. They also knew that accidents happen and accidental discharge happen in those days as well. The misuse of black powder, keeping it too close to a fireplace. Gun cotton, holy crap, talk about that. These type of things needed to be regulated. People needed to have discipline. They need to become masters of their craft just like anything. Just like you wouldn't work a plowshare over your crops if you didn't understand how to do it. And the oxen would literally go through diagonal parts of your crops and screw up your whole field and planting season. There's consequences for stupid mistakes. You're going to win stupid prizes. The same is with guns. And that holds true today. We need to change the interpretation. But before I get into my opinion, let's finish the rest. The Second Amendment seems to have been not such a huge bone of contention throughout most of the 19th and early 20th centuries. People didn't argue endlessly over its fine points. It was generally understood that people could have guns. It was also understood that guns could be taken away for the good of the peace. Tombstone, Arizona, wild west of wild west towns where Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday shot the Clantons at the OK Corral. All guns were collected at the city limits before anyone could enter. That's another one I should do a show on because Wyatt Earp was a freaking thug. So anyway, we, well, that's a whole other thing. The Cowboys weren't any better. Oh, I'm not going to do it right now. The real sea of change began in 1934 after the, ep- the epidemic of the 1920s gangsterism. With Tommy guns still ringing in the streets of Chicago, Congress passed the National Firearms Act which mandated registration and taxation of certain kinds of firearms. A 1939 challenge, United States versus Miller, ended with a unanimous Supreme Court finding in favor of the law. Quote, that was the response to the gangster crimes of the Prohibition and the attempted assassinations of the period, said Jeffrey Upton, assistant professor of political science at Seton Hall University. He teaches a class in constitutional law. It's established that there had to be a sufficient connection to the well-regulated militia. Then, in 1975, in response to a decade of riots and presidential assassinations, Washington, D.C. passed the Firearms Control Regulations Act. Basically, 
What that did is create strict rules about who could own certain kinds of weapons, Cornell said, but that led to a backlash from libertarians and a mounting effort to overturn the law. Things came to a head in 2008 with Columbia versus Heller. The case of Washington, D.C. security officer who was unable to keep a gun in his home. Quote, he and the CATO Institute sued the District of Columbia, Cornell said. The late Justice Antonin Scalia wrote the majority opinion, which broadened, though not entirely, the scope of who could have weapons and where. It was not absolute. The mentally ill could be prevented from having weapons and guns could be banned from places like schools. Two justices, including the late John Paul Stevens, wrote dissenting opinions. Quote, it's such an area of contentious debate, said Jacob Charles, executive director of the Center of Firearms Law at Duke University. There's disagreement over the effectiveness of certain kinds of gun policies and on whether there's enough political agreement to get things accomplished. Since 2008, there have been no further rulings from the Supreme Court. Ah, we just had one a couple of weeks ago. The lower courts have been left to their own devices as far as interpreting Scalia's ruling. There may be another momentous case headed toward the Supreme Court in the fall or early spring, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the City of New York about a city regulation limiting on how you can transport your gun outside your home. There's a question about whether the case might be heard at all, Charles said. It might just go away. And that's what the Democrats are hoping that will happen. They don't want to tackle guns. It's like we don't want to tackle abortion. It's political suicide in election year, especially with a first-term president. The justices on board are now starting to tackle case law against the people who are coming against the guns and finding it unconstitutional. And they are not only voting in favor, the dissenting opinions are zero and the affirmations are nine. It's incredibly one-sided and the Supreme Court is showing unity for the first time in a long time, which is interesting. I think they're sick of being politicized. I think they're getting back to actually judging the law and not judging who will be on prime time and who will be seen in a positive light. It's amazing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg kicks the bucket and all of a sudden there's integrity on the court. I'm not saying one has to do with the other, but it might have to be that you have two extremely prolific, intelligent, and well-qualified justices on Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett coming on board. It has to have had an impact. Now, here's my take. The problems that trigger these mass shootings are not gun manufacturing or gun ownership, but are social issues for which we, as a society of the free, have thus far failed to clearly identify and address. The folly and the fruitlessness of the gun control argument greatly distracts from the public discourse needed to find solutions to the real problems. That the solutions to the issue of why the perpetrators chose to use guns in such ghastly manners have not identified, have not been identified and resolved likely because these perpetrators, by and large, are playing out their crimes in the darkness of their minds, in private, with a hate or anger that isn't obvious to us. Sad as this may be, it is a reality that defies control, and that may, for the foreseeable future, remain beyond resolution. The causes are as individual as the individual perpetrators. The Constitution must be maintained and defended because, as we have in our time witnessed, such freedoms are today eroding in countries around the world and in plain view. Look at Hong Kong. Look at South America. The tragedy of each person lost to mass shootings is painful to all, and I am not discounting how horrific this is. The tragedy and the loss of our Constitution and freedom would be catastrophic. They are each fragile pillars of our way of life. 
They are our way of life because the founders of our constitution experience that the way of life that we are afraid of having and chose a different path for themselves and us. The other declaration in the constitution is freedom of the press. We must stand firm in defense of this gift from our forefathers as well. There is no more freedom of the press. It's freedom of the political party. History is replete with democracies going tyrannical. It happened in Greece. It happened in France in the 19th century. It happened in Spain in the last century. It happened in Germany. It happened in Italy. It happened in Japan and the Philippines and Venezuela. Thomas Jefferson, who said, Experience hath shown that even under the best forms of government, those entrusted with power have, in time, and by slow operations, perverted into tyranny. comes down to this, grass grows slowly, almost imperceptibly, but it does it constantly. So does tyranny. Sometimes you have to take little snapshots of the growth over time to see it. And when you see it, you will see growth rather than watching it constantly. By any measure, I think you can make the case that we have been losing our constitutional rights over time slowly, imperceptibly almost, but constantly until we have come to this tipping point. A democratically elected government suddenly taking on a tyrannical government approach to solving a problem. COVID-19. Well, what works in communist China should not be a model for how the United States deals with these similar problems here or how we dealt with them. Indeed, the Constitution only recognizes three emergencies, war, invasion, and rebellion. Yet we have numerous governors and bureaucrats that are still quite comfortable acting as tyrants and redefining the definition of emergency to retain and continue to exercise unconstitutional powers and usurp them from the Constitution. The goalposts keep moving to the point of absurdity, but that's all part of the plan. The emergency never ends, and these tyrants never give up their ill-gotten power. There is a reason for the Second Amendment, and it is the only reason I need. Yes, I should be able to use it for sport and hunting and to pass down an heirloom to my son or daughter, Yes, I should be able to blow the living hell out of somebody who tries to break into my home. But most importantly, it is a deterrent. As much as the pen and the paper are a deterrent to take away your freedom of speech, the gun is the ultimate dissuader for anyone who tries to take away your rights. We must cling to them with our cold, dead hands if necessary, because it is the one right that protects the rest. Critical replacement thinking, a video posted on social media by a black father and his young daughter. And the reason I say black, not because that's the most important thing, but it's important to preface this because critical race theory, most indeed, is embraced by minorities. And that is because they are taught this in school. They are taught this in the inner city that ultimately white people try to keep them down. But this young man is not accepting that. To his young daughter, he dismissed critical race theory and encouraged others to respect one another regardless of their race. It has garnered more than 1 million views online. It is exciting to see his TikTok page is just blowing up, and it is amazing. The pride I have for this young man, his name's Corey Yeshua, I believe that's how you say his name. The viral video was posted on his TikTok channel, and it's drawn viral interest for its lighthearted yet pointed rebuke of critical race theory, an ideology which reexamines society through a racial lens and presumes that race is a constructed concept 
used primarily to exploit people of color. Proponents of the ideology largely espouse that America and its foundational institutions are inherently racist. I'm going to show it to you right now. Take a second. Watch this. And honestly, I'm not going to say a word. It's just that good. And just the relationship he has with his kid, it means so much. It hits me right in the uh, cackles of my heart, so to speak, because I believe I still have that relationship with my daughter, or at least had it at one point. And it's great to see him uh, teach his daughter something as special as this. Take a listen. Daddy teaches you you can be anything in this world that you want to be, right? Don't daddy teach you that? Yeah, and it doesn't matter if if you're black or white or any color. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, yellow, Yellow. right? Black. And and how we treat people is based on who they are and not what color they are. And if they're nice and smart. See, This this is how children think right here. Critical race theory wants to end that. Not with my children. It's not gonna happen. My baby's going to know that no matter what she wants to be in life, all she has to do is work hard, and she can become that. Work hard even though you don't know anyone. You can make friends. (laughs) Yeah, you can make friends, no matter what color they are. So we need to stop CRT, period, point blank. Children do not see skin color, man. They love everybody. If they're good people, they love them. We pray for people that are hurt. Oh, man, it's awesome. I've, I've watched it a couple times. My wife forwarded it to me. And I think the biggest thing that I'll tell you is that there's no cussing. There's no yelling. There's no disrespect. It's just, I disagree. This is the way I feel. Won't you kind of feel this way, too? It's a Mr. Rogers approach, and it's fantastic. The video was posted on Yeshua's TikTok account on May 19th and has garnered more than 20,000 views on the platform. He's in the millions now. Yeshua's channel, which boasts over 270,000 followers, features hundreds of videos of the commentator promoting conservative values and criticizing leftist movements such as Black Lives Matter. Then on Tuesday, conservative filmmaker Robbie Starbuck posted the video on Twitter with the caption, one of the best videos opposing critical race theory that you'll ever see. The video caught fire shortly after Starbucks posting and is now rapidly circulating on the internet. Critical race theory has become a hot-button political issue in America in recent months as school boards and educational institutions across the country have moved to implement the ideology into curricula. That movement has prompted dozens of Republican legislatures to advance measures banning critical race theory and other similar teachings from public school classrooms. Good. Here's the thing. My daughter had her first crush on an African-American boy. My son loves Asian women he, well, or girls. He has an affinity for, for Asian women. I, he's going to move to Japan, I would say. Matter. When did it become so certain that we understood that there is a one-size-fits-all for everybody? That if one person feels a certain way, that everyone feels this way. Well, then here's the question. Most of us have middle European descent. We all understand that racism ran rampant in Europe, whether it was through the Nazis or whether it was through Italian behavior that Mussolini wanted one race, whether it was the Russians who went ahead and the Cossacks who who eliminated certain parts of the Russian people, whether it was the Romans and the Christians, whatever we go to, we can see this. 
maybe not necessarily all race, but beliefs in who you are. Well, if most of us are middle European descent, does that make us all racist? Simply because we had an ideology associated with another race or color or creed. Does that make any sense to you? Somebody who watches Sesame Street Street is a good, wholesome person. Somebody who doesn't is not a good and wholesome person. Can we say that? Isn't this the brown-eyed, blue-eyed, green-eyed people experiment that I told you guys about not so long ago? Simply because the way you look, all of a sudden, you share all commonality with other people who look the same? The answer is no. Critical race theory is a theory. It's not science. It's a liberal art. And like women's studies and toxic masculinity and unconscious bias and all this other bullshit, it's somebody who is trying to sell you something. If we tell children at early ages that this is the reason why you are the way you are, that it's Billy's fault across the street why you don't have any presence, not because you don't have a job or you're on welfare or you're in the inner city, or that your mother isn't home because she's addicted to drugs and she's on the street. This happens to methamphetamine users in the South, all over the place in New Mexico. It's not just crack or it's not just gang violence in the inner cities with minorities. This happens in white neighborhoods too. Why is it everyone else's fault? Why is it the government's fault? Why is it Joe Bob's fault? Why isn't it your fault? I will tell you a few things. I have lived all over the United States. I've lived over all over the world. And, and I, I will be honest with you. There are places I have lived that I did not feel comfortable. Bakersfield, California was one of them. I loved the people there. I loved my aunt, uncle, and cousins. I would have lived there just because of them. But that's not a safe city, and it sucks, and I didn't want my kids going to school there. So I got the hell out. Now you say, well, I have the means to do so. Well, I didn't have a job at that time. I was almost bankrupt. And I had just gotten done with my back surgery and kicking the medication, which I've told you that story before. I was in a world of hurt. My confidence was an all-time low. I literally hadn't worked in two years. There was every reason not to do it, but I found the means to do it. Well, that's my white privilege, right? Somebody helped me do it because I'm white. No, it's because I said, I'm going to get the hell out of here and I'm going to take myself to a place that's safe for my family. We all can make that decision. This gentleman doesn't see this. He doesn't agree with it. Even though I promise he was indoctrinated with it, just like everyone else. America's starting to wake up. The biggest existential threat to the democratic philosophy and their grip on the inner cities was Donald J. Trump. Ask this man. I don't know him. I've never spoken to him, and I promise you this, he will agree with me 120% that that is why he was ousted. That is why they did Russian collusion. That's why they did investigations and taxes and peeing on it with a prostitute in Russia. All this bullshit was because he was a threat to the inner city vote, and he was turning Mexicans and blacks towards the Republican Party. That is the biggest crisis that the Democrats had to avert. It was bigger than coronavirus. Ask him. Here's what it comes down to. Critical race theory is just a theory. It's not an applied science. When my children learned it, I explained to them, there is racism in the world. There is prejudice in the world. But only if you allow it to live. Only if you participate in it. In fact, you should defy it. You should be the most vitriolic towards that. 
and make sure that it lives in a va- it doesn't live in a vacuum that you take all oxygen out of the room and you never ever feed racism if you witness it you stand up against it you fight it because it doesn't matter what color of skin you are there are assholes and then there are good people the color of your skin does not decide any of those traits that those two may have in common it's what fat craves It's what fat craves. Regulations on Friday said a new version of a popular diabetes medicine could be sold as a weight loss drug in the U.S. The Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, approved Wigovi, a higher dose version of Nova Nordisk diabetes drug, semaglutid, semaglutide, for a long-term weight management. Oh, wonderful. In company-funded studies, participants taking Wagovi had average weight loss of 15%, about 34%, 15.3 kilos. Participants lost steadily for 16 months before plateauing. In a comparison group, getting dummy shots, the average weight loss was about 2.5%, or just under 6 pounds. Quote, with existing drugs... I lost my place. I need notes sometimes, and this one is an article. I'm sorry. So anyway, the weather, Colorado Avalanche are playing, and uh, I hope everyone's doing well. I hope your day is going fantastic. What are you guys going to do for the weekend? Uh, what are you looking to uh, get excited about? And in company-funded studies, oh, that's the wrong spot, and uh, I, I hope you guys uh, um, just have a good, with existing drugs, you're going to get maybe 5% to 10% weight reductions. Sometimes not even that, said Dr. Harold Bays medical director of the Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. Jeez. Um, I'm going down fast, folks. Metabolic. I was looking forward to this one more than any other segment, and I am mucking it up. Let's try this again. Louisville, metabolic, and holy shit, atherocellurosis, atherocellurosis research center. <laughs> Where's the sad trombone? Where? where? who is also the obesity medicine association's chief science officer helped run studies of the drug in the u.s more than 100 million adults about one in three are obese which is true dropping even five percent of one's weight can bring health benefits such as improved energy blood pressure blood sugar and cholesterol levels but that amount often doesn't satisfy patients who are focused on weight loss bayes said Bay said Wagovi appears far safer than earlier obesity drugs that have gone down in flames. Much, okay, <laughs> appears to be safer. Gone down in flames to what? <clears throat> gone down without flames? Uh, can, we, can we talk about the consequences here? Because one sounds pretty fucking horrific, and the other one doesn't sound much better. Well, slightly better. You're not going to be burning alive while you plummet to the earth at 186 miles an hour in terminal velocity. Oh, well, there's that. Wagovi's most common side effects were gastrointestinal problems, including nausea, diarrhea, vomiting. Those usually, why is it? Do you have high blood pressure? Take Mecha Slapa Maka. It'll liquefy your lungs, create typhoid, gonorrhea, ticks, herpes, Lou Gehrig's disease, asthma, a lazy eye, male pattern baldness in females, a saggy ass, and corns on your feet. Take is directed. How about we don't fucking take it at all? 
The drug carries a potential risk for a type of thyroid tumor. So it shouldn't be taken by people with a personal family history of certain thyroid and endocrine tumors. Wagovia also has a risk of depression and pancreas inflammation. Here we are. You're also going to have small dick disease. Guys, it'll be negative three inches. You'll have an innie instead of an Audi. Wagovi, pronounced we go V, all right, we go V, is a synthesized version of a gut hormone that curbs appetite. What the? F- Patients inject it weekly under their skin. Oh, you don't do it in your eyeball? Oh, what a shame. Like other weight loss drugs, it's to be used along with exercise, a healthy diet, and other steps like keeping a food diary. Why don't you just fucking exercise and have a healthy diet? You don't need the fucking shot. The Danish company hasn't disclosed Wagovi's price, but it said it will be similar to the price of Saxenda, an 11-year-old weight loss drug injected daily that now typically costs more than $1,300 per month without insurance. Oh, well, why don't you just hire a fucking personal trainer for that? How about a nutritionist? Dr. Arcana, I don't understand these names. Arcana Sudu. Sounds like a freaking Bond villain, Dr. Arcana Shudu, head of the diabetes program at Houston Methodist Hospital, said Wagovi's usefulness all depends on what price it'll be. She noted patients' health insurance plans sometimes don't cover weight loss treatments, putting expensive drugs out of reach. Sudu has no connection to Novo Nordisk, plans to switch patients who are obese and have type 2 diabetes to Wagovi. It makes patients feel full sooner and increases and releases of insulin from the pancreas to control blood sugar, she said. Patients would then be more likely to get motivated to exercise and eat a healthier, she said. Wagovi builds on a trend in which makers of relatively new diabetes drugs test them to treat each other's conditions common in diabetics. For example, popular diabetes drugs, Jardiance and Nova Nordisk Victoza, got these names, now have approvals for reducing risk of heart attack, stroke, and death in heart patients. Philander Pinal, 49, of Largo, Maryland, with a very obscure name, just like everyone else, joined a patient study. Where's Bob Smith? Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob, please come to the blue room. Dr. Bob, the white zone is for loading and unloading. Don't start that white zone shit again, Betty. Patient study after name the movie in the comments and I will get you something fun after cycles of losing and then regaining weight. She said she received Wagovi worked out several times a week and lost 65 pounds over 16 months. Not exactly a fast acting drug, is it? It helped curb my appetite and helped me feel full faster. Said Parnell, it got me on the right path. Shortly after she finished the study and stopped receiving Wagovi, she regained about half the weight. Of course, she's since lost much of that, started exercise classes and bought some home exercise equipment. She's considering going back on Wagovi after it's approved. Nova Nordisk also is developing a pill version. Okay, listen to me. I'm, I'm almost 50. I'm in pretty good shape. I'm not going to sit up here and flex for you, but I'm not fat. I've got a body mass, BMI, good body BMI. Overall body fat is probably 12 to 14%. I work out constantly. I'm on the elliptical. I eat right. I take care of my body, but this wasn't always so. I'm going to give you 20 things, and I don't want you to pick all of them. There are a couple. The first thing I will tell you is throw away your fucking scale. Weight fluctuates, and it's depressing. 
especially for women who retain water, then don't retain water. They eat a little something, eat too much salt. Immediately they put on five pounds, throw away the scale. It is not indicative of what's happening. The only thing you need is a mirror and naked and look and a measuring tape. And you will find out if you are losing inches, whether you're putting on muscle or putting on fat. Now I was like 203 when I was 45, I was at like 268. And I was unhealthy skinny at six foot four. The recommended is like 186. I would be literally ET. 203 was too skinny too. And I'm up to about 225 now, but that's because I put on a lot of mass and muscle. But there's a few things you need to listen to your, to your body and it will tell you. I want you to listen to this list. And I want you, if you've turned this off, I'm begging you not to. I have helped a lot of people, including my wife lose weight after a baby or that midlife crisis or before menopause, after menopause or the freshman 15, whatever it is. Maybe you are losing without realizing it is the number one thing. And that's why I say throw away the scale. It's all about the inches, not about the pounds. I'm a, I'm a size 32 in my waist. I haven't been that way in high, since high school, but I feel like my waist is bigger. because it is, I've worked out my abs and my obliques and I have a little curve on my hips, which I've never had before. I usually just had a gut that came out. Well, that's because there's muscle there and I hadn't seen them since I was 20 years old. You're not keeping track of what you're eating. The thing is, is that you're not hungry. Human body needs to really eat once a day, a very high caloric, strong amount of food. If you want to maintain weight, 2000 calorie, roughly 1500 calorie meal. If you work out and then some small snacks in between, it it doesn't need three meals a day. Now, if you want to bulk up and grow muscle, you do need that, but you're not keeping track of what you're eating. Instead of eating, drink a glass of water. You're thirsty or you're bored. That is the biggest problem with people. I'm hungry. No, you're not. That you just ate two hours ago. You're not hungry. I swear to God, you sitting on the couch, flipping the remote control did not burn enough calories for you to need to eat again. Your body is full. You're bored. Go find something to do. Whenever you want to eat, go do something and hold off for five minutes and then do it again. Number three, you're not eating enough protein. I don't want to eat meat. Well, you're a carnivore and your muscles need protein. I'll have soy latte whey protein shake. That's not protein. You can't survive without some sort of protein. Fish. You need the omegas. You need the vitamins. You need it for the iron. Are you a freezing chili poodle all the time and it's 80 degrees outside and you have to have a blanket and your freaking earmuffs on? You're probably anemic. You need your protein. Red meat is important. You're eating too many calories. Do you know how many calories you should eat a day? For me, working out as much as I do, I can eat 3,500 calories. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it's made of. I can eat 3,500 calories. I will not gain weight. I know that. I won't gain a pound. I won't put on a bunch of mass. I won't lose any weight. I, I will just stay right in the middle. Now, if I have hamburgers and french fries all the time, that's, uh, that's going to be a meal and a half with a, with a chocolate shake. But I can pretty much eat six times a day, 3,500 calories, and I won't gain weight. But a lot of people don't understand that 
the coffee with all the creamer and the sugar or the high fructose corn syrup, you're literally taking out 10 to 15, 20% of your calories and drinking your calories. Stop drinking your calories. I'm going to say it twice. It's so important. You're not eating whole foods, not whole foods, the shopping center, but whole foods, high quality vegetables, meat, some carbs, some fats, some natural fats. All of those things are needed for your body. You're not lifting weights. You're just running. Running single-handedly is one of the worst things you can do for weight loss in the world because not only does it burn down fat, it burns off muscle, which is the whole point. You need muscle to stay strong. And if you have that much weight on your body, it is going to create problems for your knees and your joints and your elbows. Put on a base of muscle and then slowly trim off the fat with cardio. Do targeted heart rate. Get it to being 110 and 120. If it goes up any higher, slow down. Then you are literally burning. If you get up higher into the heart rates, the 130s, 140s, 150s, you're going to create a lot of stress on your body. And you're going to get cortisol in your body, and you're going to burn muscle and fat. And that's not what you want to do. Intense, High-intensive cardio, one to two-minute bursts are fantastic, and then one to two minute of walking to calm down. Fantastic for you. But lifting weights, you can get your heart rate up. You just cycle. You take 60-second breaks, 30-second breaks in between sets. That's predominantly all I do is lift weights. You're binge eating, even on healthy food. Like I said, you're just eating, just to eat. I'm hungry. No, you're not. You're not doing cardio. If you want to lose weight, you have to lift and do cardio. You have to have high intensity, high heart rate, and you need to put stress on the body. You want to burn fat around the middle, around the hips, around your ass, and the inside of your thighs. I don't care how much you run. That will remain until you lift and fill it with muscle. Got a saggy ass? It's because you don't have any muscle. You're still drinking sugar. High fructose corn syrup is deadly. Soda, ice cream, anything with high fructose corn syrup, cut it out of your life. It is a killer. It's not the cholesterol that kills you. You can have eggs. You can have some trans fat. It is the freaking preservatives and the high fructose corn syrup, which changes the molecular level of your body and puts pressure and makes it swell and retain water, which then shrinks your arteries and then cholesterol kills you. That's what it is. It's the swelling of your body. You're not sleeping well. If you don't get your eight hours, If you're going to bed at one in the morning and waking up at eight, that's not impressive. You're not getting enough sleep. Your body needs to rest. Not only your mind, you need to decompress, but your body needs to heal. If you're working out and you're running and you're taking care of your body and you're not sleeping, cortisol will happen and you will put on more fat than muscle because your body's under stress. You have to have sleep. That is when you grow. Have an apple before you go to bed. Trust me, an apple is perfect before you go to bed for that late night snack. Why? Because it takes more calories to burn an apple than an apple's actually worth. So your body will continue to burn calories while you sleep. It's an interesting trick. You're not cutting back on carbs. Do you have bagels in the morning? Toast with your breakfast? Sandwich for lunch? Rolls for your bread? Loading yourself up with carbs? Probably. Do a 2-1.5 ratio. 2 grams of protein, one gram of carbs for a half a gram of fat. Follow that ratio and you're getting your bodily intake that it needs. You're eating too often. Again, fasted cardio is good, but sometimes you put yourself under too much stress by not eating enough, but sometimes you eat way too much. 
Does this sound like you? You wake up in the morning, you have a cup of coffee, and you have your breakfast. On the way to the breakfast, you might get yourself a granola bar in the office. You do that. Then you see some snacks. Somebody brings donuts. You decide to have one of those. Then you have some lunch, and you upgrade to the fat dressings, and you put a little bit more chicken with a little bit of bacon, and you have that. On the way home, you get a Starbucks coffee full of high fructose corn syrup. You get home and you snack on the dinner that you're cooking, have a couple strands of pasta, then have a high-carb loaded dinner. Eat that, go sit on the couch, have a bag of popcorn. A few minutes later, you go get a can of soda. And after that can of soda, you drink it and your mouth is salty and it's dry. So instead of going to get water, what do you do? You go get more food. Does this sound like you? You're eating too much fucking food. You're not drinking enough water. You need to be drinking a crap ton of water a day, eight bottles a day at the minimum. I drink a gallon of water a day. You'll be amazed at what that does to your body. You're drinking too much alcohol. Beer is not good for you. Sweet drinks are not good for you. If you want to have some, uh, some scotch, you want to have a glass of whiskey, that's fine. You want to have a Michelob Ultra, that's okay. You want to have a 7 and 7 and be a complete press, I don't care. But when you have a pineapple, coconut, macadamia, cherry explosion, Jägermeister bomb, you are not taking care of your body. I'm not saying you can't go out and have a few pops. I'm not saying you can't get drunk. Do it in moderation. Have a cheat day. That's fine. The Rock has a cheat day of pancakes that are stacked up this high with a full bottle of syrup. He also is a steroid-using Olympic-type lifter. You're not The Rock. You don't need to eat like that. You don't need to drink like that either. You're not eating mindfully. You don't say no enough. You put the extra mayonnaise on. You dip it in ranch. None of it's fat-free, and you don't care because it's not the burger that kills you. It's all the shit you put on the burger. I have pizza all the time, thin crust with chicken, tomato, mushroom, light cheese, light sauce. It's like 800 calories for a large. Yours is 4,700 calories for a medium with double extra cheese and sausage and bacon and pepperoni and pineapple. You sick fuck. Pineapple? You may have a medical condition that's making things harder. Have you had a physical? Have you had your blood work done? Have you checked for estrogen, high levels of estrogen in your body if you are a male or high level of hormones as a woman? Have you had your blood work done? These aren't standard things that are checked. What does your heart, do you have an arrhythmia? Do you have blockage? Do you have the beginnings of heart disease? Is it hereditary? What's going on? Get yourself checked out. You're addicted to junk food. Enough said. You've been starving yourself for too long. That is another thing. People think, oh, it's time to diet. I'm just going to go ahead and go on another diet. Diets don't work because what happens is you come off that diet and you put the weight back. Unless you have the habits to make yourself stronger and better, this will continue to happen. Your expectations are unrealistic. If you think you're going to lose five pounds a week, you're insane. I don't care how hard you work. You will not lose that. What you see on The Biggest Loser is bullshit. And half of those people, if not more, are put all the weight back on when they're done. Stop expecting it to happen overnight. For me to transform, it took a year and a half. A year and a half with no magic cure. Lastly, you're too focused on dieting. The scale, dieting, it doesn't matter. Know how many calories. You don't need to weigh it and check every single ounce. Get an estimate. And if you're putting on 
25, 3,000 calories and not burning five to 800 and working out, you're going to gain weight. Start slow. Take out high fructose corn syrup. Take out all processed sugars and foods. Just start there and you'll thank me for it. You don't need a magical drug. Magical drugs aren't magical. They're drugs and they're not good for your body. Exercise. That's why all of these magical tricks, take this pill, take Brondo, it'll work for you, but exercise and diet. No, no, just exercise and diet. If you're fat and first step is admitting you're fat, that's the problem. I used to ask my wife, honey, am I fat? She would, no. And then finally, she was just honest with me. Yeah, you're getting really fat, but I love you anyway. And I'm like, okay, shit, I got to fix myself. If you're fat, you know you're fat. And just because someone tells you it's because they love you. If they loved you, they would be honest with you. You can get help. I am available anytime. I will tell you the honest truth. Talk to me. Ask me any question you want. I am not a pro, but I know the pros. These guys right here used to be Bakersfield Sports Nutrition are amazing. They'll get you everything you need to be successful. It starts with hard work and dedication, but most importantly, like any problem, it takes you to admit that you have one. Veteran Crisis Hotline, admitting you have a problem, 1-800-273-8255. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 22 veterans commit suicide a day. June is PTS Awareness Month. It's coming up. We'll do something special for that, but let's talk about this right now. Traumatic brain injury, PTS, anxiety, depression are all things real for veterans. They need your help. Please reach out to a veteran today. Make the call. If you can't, call me. I'll do it with you. If you're fat and you're depressed, I'm your guy. Call me and I will motivate you to be healthy and to get the help you need. This is where you go to the Veteran Crisis Hotline. If you can't make that call, you want to do it on your own in your own time, go to my website, don'tunfriendme.com. Click on the VCL link. There's a Skype hot link. You'll be connected to a VCL operator live link and they will take care of you. And if you are a civilian, they will also do the same. They turn no man, woman, or child away. Please do me a favor, like, Share, follow, subscribe. That's going to pop up right here. I forgot to do that at the beginning of the show. It really helps, folks. We, folks, we just hit 20,000. I want to continue to grow. The way you do that is go to my social media, go to all those places, hit like, share, follow. It means the world to me. Leave some comments. Tell me how I'm doing. Tell me what I can do better. Love me, hate me, agree, disagree. I don't care. Just don't unfriend me. Good night, everybody. Go abs. Let's have a great game. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'll talk to you Monday, not tomorrow. It's the weekend. It's Friday. Red Friday, folks. Remember everyone deployed. Don't forget that. Wear your red on Friday. Good night.